0: Today on the show, we recite the Litany of Fear across two issues and some beautifully colored pages.
1: Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV, and today, comic books. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today, we are talking about the ongoing prequel comic book series, Dune House Atreides, which... Uh Change of Pace is written or based on the novel series written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. That's right. I'm a big comic book reader. I don't know
0: about you, Leo. Yeah, but, I dabble. Uh, yeah. As a as a certified nerd, I feel like yeah. I have to <laughs> you know I have to keep up my street cred and read the occasional comic here and there. Right. So right. I wouldn't say I'm an avid reader. I'm not like keeping up with the latest X-Men series or anything sure. like that. But I definitely dabble into the ones, the series that I'm interested in, the writers that I'm interested in, Mm -hmm. and the arcs that friends will recommend. So I was checking out what Dune comic books are available out there in the world. And lo and behold, this ongoing series is only, I believe, at the time of this recording through its first three issues, the fourth issue is about to come out. So I thought it would be interesting to delve into a different medium and explore Another type of Dune story being told. You know, like
1: I got my degree in art, and I'm always I love reading graphic novels. I don't. How's make that enough, going for you? <laughs> don't, <laughs> we don't talk about it. We don't talk about that degree and all the money that was spent on it. Uh, but be rude, so rude. But that was mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but to be very clear. We haven't read these books, so this is new material for us and a little bit unfamiliar because it's a different tone, the writing's a little bit different, the pacing's different. And I just wanted to make that clear. As we're talking about this graphic novel adaptation of the, of the House Atreides novel, we are seeing this for the first time. Um, I will also say that Brian Herbert's sort of a controversial topic in the Dune fandom. Mm -hmm. And I don't love his writing as much as I love Frank's, but I'm a little desperate for Dune content. So ultimately, I'm not super picky. So I just wanted to put that out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've made that clear across our episodes of Gamjubar. the fact that we consider Frank's own word law. right? We consider that sort of primary canon, set in stone, can't be changed. And then secondary canon is something we've talked about at length, the encyclopedia, right. those two things you and I are very well versed in. But when it comes to the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson sort of expanded lore series, those we consider sort of third tier lore, something that's fun to explore, maybe something you could call expanded lore, but not pure canon like Frank's own words and the encyclopedia. That's our own personal stance on the Bar podcast. But like you said, Brian can be quite a divisive and controversial topic within the dune universe so we wanted to acknowledge that here at the top that this is a comic book series written by brian herbert kevin j anderson based off a book that brian herbert and kevin j anderson wrote together that being said one other quick notice before we get into the first two issues of the comic which we're going to cover today this will be a spoiler episode it's tough to cover a prequel book or a prequel comic book without prior knowledge of what happens in the actual dune series right so if you haven't read frank's original dune series some of what we might touch on might delve into some light light spoiler territory but we want to make that clear right at the top because we know we have a lot of listeners who are diving into dune for the very first time
1: i would say for the first book i i can't definitely for the first book looking at what we're going to talk about i can't if you haven't gotten to like Messiah and Children of Dune and God Emperor of Dune and the the fifth and sixth books, I, I think you're probably safe. Mostly, what we're talking about is characters who sort of preempt events in the first book. So we will be talking about those things. Uh, so yes, spoiler warning: if you haven't read or experienced the first Dune story, just be aware. <laughs>
0: Totally. Okay, so now that we got some of the housekeeping out of the way, yes. let's get into the actual comic book itself. Starting with issue number one, we kind of broke it down into scene by scene. The, the comic book is written fairly linearly. It jumps from one scene to the next. So we're going to take it scene by scene, discuss our thoughts, connect some of the lore to the original books, and discuss some of our, our thoughts and opinions on it, and share some of our insights. Indeed. The opening scene of issue one is in Arrakis. On the iconic planet of Dune itself. And the comic opens up with an Ornithopter flight, very similar to the one that Paul and his father, Leto, take with Liet Kynes in the first Dune novel. Except now we are decades earlier and we are joined by a young Vladimir Harkonnen. Dude, looking great, by the way. Looking great, my looking, guy. Yeah. Like. <laughs>
1: He, this is pre COVID twenty, right? This is like pre. He's looking live, looking very strong, very, very, you know, barren like. Honestly,
0: yeah, yeah. And I noticed, I don't know if you caught this, many of the Harkonnens in this comic book series, all of them actually, are redheads. So we're sticking with the David Lynch, I hadn't noticed nineteen eighty four film adaptation.
1: Gingers, <laughs> all of them. Yeah,
0: all of them. So. Young Vladimir Harkonnen is in this ornithopter and he's overseeing a spice harvester doing its thing, harvesting spice in the desert. Right, And then a spice blow explodes right underneath the harvester and it takes out all the workers on the harvester, blows up the harvester and they lose it. And we get to see a contrast to the way that Paul and Leto reacted to losing a harvester versus how Vladimir Harkonnen their bitter rival and an antagonist in the dune series reacts to a very similar event he freaks out about the loss of cash yeah it's that money <laughs> it's worried about the that assets money are he gone. Lost. yeah yeah i mean like direct quotes i wrote, wrote down here he says quote the factory that was a full load of spice <laughs> It's subtle.
1: It's very subtle. You can almost start to get a sense of what's important to him. I think.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Another quote. Let me throw. Let me hit you with sure. this one. Yeah. Quote. More equipment losses to report. I'll never be able to hide this from the Emperor. End quote. Yeah. Leo, do you think Vladimir Harkonnen is hiding things from the Emperor?
1: He's trying. <laughs> Although maybe this one he can't. You know. But again, you're so right. This is him very directly worrying about profits and worrying about his own neck and kind of his reputation versus Leto being so quick to say, no, no, the harvester, whatever, that's just equipment. It's the people that that matter. Like, let's get them onto the ornithopters. But we can't. They're too heavy. It's okay. We'll figure it out. You know, very different priorities there. And this is really driving it home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was very intentional to open this comic book series. and this story with that scene in particular if you know anything about dune which you presumably do if you're reading a prequel series right right then this is a scene you will immediately recognize because it's such an iconic scene from from the first dune novel but then from here leo we jump forward and we meet another young version of an iconic character right in fact someone that we never met
1: in dune yeah only heard about only heard about but now we meet him, Pardo Kynes, also looking great. Looking great. Looking so good. I mean, goals, really. But he, uh, this is, and by the way, the, again, this is the father of Liet Kynes. Uh, and he is having an audience with an aging Emperor Elrude IX on the capital planet of Chitin, which we just talked about in our Planets of Dune episode. Looking great also the planet I love the illustrations of this planet looks looks exactly like I would picture it right shiny, rich this is again following ten thousand years of house Carino being in charge and saving up those sweet dollars taxing planets
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely I do that's what I, that's one thing I appreciate about this comic series in particular we're getting to visit some planets that you and I again talked about in our planet dune episode that we Probably won't see in the films, right? Right. Right. At least for a long time, but probably not until sequel films. Right. So it's really fun to get to at least see some sort of visual interpretation of them. And like you said, Kaiten, we visit here. We meet Emperor Elrude the Ninth, another character that we vaguely, vaguely hear about in the novels. Uh, we get to see him in the flesh, in the very wrinkly, wrinkly <laughs> flesh angry
1: here in the comic book series yeah exactly
0: (laughs) so pardo arrives and he doesn't know why he's there and the emperor explains to him hey you were i'm giving you an assignment you are now the imperial planetologist of arrakis we want you to go to arrakis and figure it out how does the spice work how do the worms work we want you to figure all of that out because you're the best of the best and this is obviously where that chain of events starts that ends or at least it kicks off the series of Dune in the first novel. So we see the origin point of his assignment here. Right. And I do like
1: this scene. I like this conversation, right? I mean, in Pardo's examination of Chiton, he's mentioning, man, there are trees this tall on Bella Tagus, right? And this is another planet that we explored in the Zensuni Freeman episode, because this is one yeah. of the planets that they ended up on uh, for a time. And... He, he also mentions later Seleucus Secundus. But I like this conversation because it does kind of give you a peek into the mentality of Pardo Kynes. He's asked, why did you go to Seleucus Secundus? He volunteered to go study Seleucus Secundus. And his answer is like, a damaged planet teaches so much more. You can learn so much more from it. And he's yeah. fascinated by that challenging place versus somewhere that's like nice, right? And when he's told... <laughs> You know, when we see Paul told that he's going to Arrakis, it's sort of like, oh, God, really? Right. We see Pardo assigned, not even given a choice. You are hereby basically committed to going to the this terrible planet covered in sand and it's dirty and hot. And he's like, hell yeah. rock on i've been curious about this planet he's immediately nerding out like oh yeah and i've heard that it's called dune by the natives and oh i've always been so interested and i love it i like i love his energy i love what he brings to that scene it's great
0: also did we mention he's looking good yeah he's looking
1: great (laughs) the beard (laughs) goals and the facial hair yeah
0: looking great so after pardo kinds leaves we are still in the same scene with the emperor in his throne room. And another character enters the scene. Earl yeah. Dominic Vernius of Ix, the leader also, of Ix at this time. Also, also looking good. Looking so looking good. Great. 11 out
1: of 10 mustache. He's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a stout, broad-chested man. Ugh, looking like a whole snack.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And acting like one, too. I mean, he comes in there. Boldly entering, oh, yeah. slams his foot down on the throne, <laughs> and like straight up is like, "Hey, we we updated the highliners so that more things can be crammed inside them." Yeah, you're welcome, baby. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I like the. It's so good. I like the guy who's like, "Sir, take your foot off the dais," and doesn't care, doesn't even give a glance at this idiot Not a who's single gonna glance. tell him to move his boot. No, this is Earl. Dominic Vernius of Ix.
0: <laughs> yeah, baby. And he, he digs the nail in even further. I loved this part. It's crazy. There's, <laughs> just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. But he, he antagonizes the emperor even further and calls him Rudy instead of Sire, Your Majesty, even Elrude, No, Rudy, which happens to be the pet name that Shando, the woman that he ended up marrying and right, was- Right, right. Elrude's former lover, that's the pet name that she used to call him when they were lovers. Just to really dig that <laughs> nail in.
1: Now, I wanted to point out here, it's mentioned I used the secret pet name, but his name is Elrude. Like, if you said, Leo, quickly, nickname for Elrude, I'd be like, Rudy.
0: <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: So, is that really such a secret name? Like, come on. that's That's... I don't know. Got to give that a creativity four out of ten. I'm not feeling the secrecy of that name. (laughs)
0: Look, come on. His passwords are all Rudy (laughs) I-X. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: Meanwhile, in the corner, we see a young Prince Shaddam and Fenring uh, who are plotting the downfall of Elrude. Oh, my God. The the drama.
0: Also, is this the place to be plotting that? In the throne, (laughs) awfully
1: in earshot of a number of people. (laughs) Like, I also love that, and this is again bordering on perhaps bad comic storytelling because it just feels so clunky. But Shaddam is like, me, Shaddam the fourth. And it's like, uh, yeah, (laughs) is this? (laughs) you're, You're saying your whole title, your whole name right now, you know? It's a little weird already to be referring to yourself out loud in the third, but then to like go full name and it's, uh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's funny. Sure.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So moving on from the throne room scene. Next, we visit another iconic planet and another planet that we actually talked about in our Planet of Dune episode. Yeah. We visit Kaladin. And Kaladin. here is where we meet young Leto Atreides himself. Looking okay. I mean, he's fine. Looking, right. 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 Average teenager. Yeah, he's average. He's still going through puberty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the beard's not quite there yet.
1: He's not yet at Oscar Isaac status. He's He's got time.
0: Not at all. He, he's he got to mature. Quite a bit of maturing <laughs> to do. And that, that's actually the scene that plays out here. Right. His father tells young Leto that he will be traveling to X to study alongside Prince Rombar, who is the son of Earl Dominic Vernius, who we just met in the throne room. And Leto is stoked. And honestly, so am I. Ix, I want to go to Ix.
1: No, hell yeah. Again, list of places that I want to see adapted and shown on page. Absolutely. Ix is up there. And, you know, he's sending off his son to this kind of internship on Ix. And to celebrate, you know, he's a duke. He's a duke's son. He's going to celebrate this with this massive crazy bullfight. <laughs> which, you know, of all of the traditions to survive 30,000 years into the future, like why this one, but whatever throws this massive bullfight. And he, the Duke is literally in the Coliseum, which man does not seem calculated. And I do love, you know, the Duke's wife, whose name I can't remember asking Fear also showing up with his eyebrows looking, looking uh, like yeah. eyebrows uh i like her going uh, what are the calculations on the duke fucking dying
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and Thufir's like uh eh, it's not super likely but i think it's possible
0: <laughs> oh my gosh I, I will say the coliseum packed yeah not an empty seat in the house folks the people of Kaladin love this
1: again Caladan, as we covered in our Planets of Dune episode, tourism has a lot of tourism. I imagine yeah. if I was, like, visiting a planet and I heard that the fucking duke of the planet was or bullfighting. The
0: prime minister was going to wrestle a bear or something, I'd be like, fuck, I'm how, going to bed. How could I miss that?
1: What, am I going to look at the ocean? No, I'm going <laughs> to
0: watch that. So true, so true. But, yeah, uh, he inevitably, obviously, bests this bull I, I you say obviously
1: but th- he gets killed by a bull so i was thinking yes. like is this the scene but no he he wins
0: <laughs> yeah not yet now i also there were a couple of panels there where i was like oh no the bull's going to get him this is the scene right the iconic yeah. scene but it isn't he he overcomes this bull fist race to the sky are you not entertained gladiator moment he asks young leto to come down raises his son's fist and says, this is your next Duke. (laughs) And the people of Kaladin cheer uproariously. What a scene.
1: Dude, he's got stage presence. Let me give him that. He's got flair.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up issue number one with our final scene here. A very quick scene. We are back on Kitane and we are back with Kitan. (laughs) We are back on Kitan with our boy Shaddam, which we know because he, he told us in <laughs> that previous the whole scene. title. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Fenring. And they're playing some unexplained, like, globe chess game, holographic game. And while they're doing that, they're plotting how to take down Shaddam's father, Elrude. How to murder someone. It's casual. <laughs> casual. Very casual. Yeah. The brilliant plan that Fenring comes up with here, and I do have to hand it to him for the the absolute 40 chess he's playing here, is to slowly poison Elrude but this keep in mind
1: okay keep in mind war of assassins poisons they've been around at this point in world like 6000 years 7000 years 8000 years and snoopers are already a thing so the plan is to poison elrude sure but how do you get around the poison snoopers so the plan evolves okay we're going to introduce a catalyst into his uh, introduce a catalyst into a system that as he drinks the beer the beer will break down and become toxic in his body and we'll we'll kill him over the next year or two, which, yeah, honestly is like that, I mean, that's a clever way of getting around poison snoopers, uh, which yeah, yeah. then begs the question. If it's so easy to get around poison snoopers, why are they all over the place? <laughs> why but, are they so...
0: Right. <laughs> why is everyone still using
1: them? <laughs> you just kill people through drinking beer, but okay. Uh, totally right, fine. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, the next step, of course, Leo, becomes how do we administer this catalyst, right? right we got to right. get it inside Elrude's body so that every time he drinks beer, he's slowly poisoned. Fenring, our boy, e does it with ease. He sneaks into the royal chambers while Elrude is sleeping... Administers the catalyst while monologuing, mind you. Talking out loud. Talking out loud. What a flex. And then sneaks out of the palace. And I just have to say, what is the security team doing? Not much.
1: Not much at this moment. <laughs> Hanging out outside. Front door. Wide open balcony.
0: No no locks on the windows. So funny. He inexplicably breaks in and does it. But it's... uh. At this point, we've confirmed Elrude has the catalyst. He will be poisoned in the next year or two. And we've set up our dramatic arc for these two characters.
1: Which, honestly, cool. Yeah. I mean, again, this idea of secession and the idea of how power is handed off, this is very accurate within the world of Dune. So it's fun to see this seed planted, almost literally, knowing then that this is going to grow into Shaddam's rise to power, also explaining Fenring's prominence in court when we meet him in dune so
0: cool very cool i'm glad we got a little bit of Fenring in this issue so let's move on to issue number two we pick up issue two with our opening scene with our boy our pretty boy pardo kynes and he's finally now on arrakis he got again in the previous issue he got his assignment he's here to study the planet he goes to the baron arconan and the baron tells him hey you want to see a worm Beast <laughs> Raban's gonna go and try and kill one. You should head out with him. Yeah. And so Pardo Kinds does. They get on an ornithopter. They have an expert named Thakar with them, who is explaining that they have a thumper. It'll attract the worm, and then they'll kill it with the bombs. Beast Raban, in <laughs> iconic Beast Raban fashion, yeah, <laughs> just throws the car out of the helicopter with the thumper and the bombs, and leaves him, and goes and lands on like an out, like a rock outcropping where the worm can't get to to watch. I'm
1: pretty sure he says yeet as he does it too. (laughs) (laughs) This is all very subtle. He's like, and you yeet? (laughs) (laughs) The car is like, oh, Pardo Kynes is like wrecked. (laughs) Totally, totally. This is also remarkable because the car has just been established as a very valuable asset to everyone. He is the expert. He knows what's going on. He's like kind of... Heavy-handedly dropping terms in the, in the ornithopter, you know, they call it shy halud. You know, Be- Beast just throws him out of the ornithopter and is like, "Well, you're probably gonna die, but if you run real fast, you won't." And th- first of all, it's not even how that works. You're wrong, Beast. <laughs> you you want to <laughs> walk without rhythm or don't move at all. But uh, that's it's it's a it's another sign of the Harconans as a family. Disregarding the value of individuals for instead, maybe just amusement or entertainment, you know, especially beast.
0: And so the scene plays out. The Gar activates the thumper. He arms the bombs. The worm is on the way, and the Gar runs for his life. The worm arrives, attacks the thumper, which is right next to the bombs, and presumably eats the payload, which explodes. Beautiful thing, by the way. Yeah. Gorgeous panels. I did. I, I agree. I loved the artwork here. The car miraculo- miraculously survives by standing still and not attracting the worm away from the bombs and the thumper. And the worm dies. And so Pardo Kynes. Mission accomplished. We're done here, folks. <laughs> Beast Raban Pardo Kynes, they climb down from their out, rocky outcropping, come up to the worm. Beast Raban is stoked. He's like, I'm going to get this trophy. Everyone yeah. on, back on Giddy Prime is going to be so jealous.
1: Going to get those chicks. They're going to be so hot and bothered when they see that. Yeah, four hundred meter long body. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Unfortunately for him, no chicks for Beast Raban today because as <laughs> soon as they approach the worm, it. Th- I found this really interesting. It begins to dissolve yeah. and turn into a uh, you know thousands and thousands of little larvae that seep back into the sand and i found this really interesting because this is maybe the first time we actually see a sandworm die in this way you know
1: i've always had some questions about what it looks like when a sandworm dies we hear that the fremen get their kriss knives from the teeth of dead shai hulud or like dead sandworms so th- there there's this question of like what is left behind when a sandworm dies i always pictured when i read that that of course there are these big dead sandworms but it also makes sense that the life cycle kind of continues and uh, and and the sandworm becomes the sand trout but th- the other question here is we know for a fact that dead sandworms leave their teeth behind because they have to because that's where chris knives come from yeah what a thousand sort like
0: a is thousand is that not trophy enough beast raban
1: a thousand (laughs) glowing white teeth of one of the rarest creatures in the universe who only appear on this one that's a fucking crazy payload like are you not impressed beast raban but okay i get the point he wanted the big body he wanted the big wormy body
0: right right. he's actually so pissed that he fucking backhands the car (laughs) in the next panel
1: yeah just just for fun. Doesn't even really talk about it.
0: Dude, <laughs> I feel for like, the car here. Thrown out of a helicopter, nearly eaten by a worm and or blown up by explosives. Tough day. And then slapped in the face. <laughs> yeah, not a good, not a good day. <laughs> He's not having a good day at all. No, not at all. So after this worm scene, we fast forward to the next scene in issue two, which takes place on Wallach 9. Yeah. Which is the first time we're seeing a visual representation of this planet.
1: Yeah, this is the first time that we're seeing Wallach 9, which is cool. It's kind of fun to see like Benny Gesserit architecture <laughs> and to see some of this stuff committed to the page. It's it's really quite cool. And we meet a sort of, a, a, by the text, we know that she's late, uh, a mm-hmm. reverend mother, Anna, Anna Rule, who arrives to basically bring the... Uh, the generation-long breeding program that leads to basically Paul's birth, she's, she's got like a report on it. The, the big news is that they are two generations away, basically, from the Quisach Haderach. And a key element of this plan is the baron himself, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who they need to have a daughter. <laughs> they need him to have a daughter, basically, who we know from the first Dune to be Jessica, Paul's mother.
0: Right, so we know at this point the Mother Superior begins plotting how to make that happen, right? She's like, oh, we have some leverage here against the Harkonnens. We could push some buttons here, maybe sneak in a concubine here. Let's make it happen. You had a really great note, Leo, and now that I think about it, you're absolutely right. Reverend Mother Ainuril arrives with this update about the breeding program. Yeah. And (laughs) to share it with everyone— She is carrying something in her hand. And that something in her hand happens to be a scroll that she then unfurls in front of everyone. The scroll has a bunch of like X's and O's and like sort of like football play looking things on it. (laughs) And she points to one of the X's and she's like, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen has to have a daughter. We're so close (laughs) to the Kwisatz Haderach. And that scene is so distracting because as you pointed out in our notes here – why have they been writing this on paper? What is paper doing
1: in this <laughs> fucking scene? <laughs> and it's like a tall panel to accommodate the long scroll. What yeah. is happening? Later on in this issue, we see someone with effectively an iPad. What? Why don't the Benning Gesserit have that by this point? Are they not they digitize be- their
0: breeding program? Like
1: <laughs> this is the most important research findings and they're writing it on paper. This is absurd. <laughs> what is happening? They are, by this point, historically, they are writing things on crystals. They are writing things on, like, microscopic, tiny crystals. Also, most reverend mothers have, like, mentat training. They can just recite the information. What right. is this like? No
0: one needs to write this down.
1: I brought a PowerPoint. <laughs> We're Oh, gonna, my gosh. It's like, what is this presentation you're giving? This is absurd. This really took me out of the moment. I was really more bothered than I should have been. But I don't yeah. know. It's weird.
0: I no, I agree. I agree. It was a weird interpretation. Uh I'm personally not a big fan of it. Like paper doesn't belong in this in this universe. <laughs> there is a well established way of recording things. Yeah. Many other established ways so many. like you've explained of recording and reciting things. Paper is not one of them. Anyway. She could have been a D D-strands Like that <laughs> oh, so <laughs> exactly. many things. Something we've covered on this podcast before. Like anyway, we've made our point. Yeah. <laughs> Get that paper out of my face.
1: We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> although then, moving on in the next scene to giddy prime and duncan fucking duncan idaho,
0: idaho <laughs> young duncan idaho
1: yeah jason momoa young i, I jason flipped momoa. the
0: page and i actually kind of like this like physically got excited like i was like is that duncan motherfucking idaho
1: it's duncan idaho man we're seeing him we're seeing him on the page you know in the dune book we hear his hate for the harkonnens we hear about He's always going on about how much he hates the Harkonnens. We get to see the foundation of this hatred. We get to see the essence of his kind of trauma that is associated with his family. So he is being hunted by basically Harkonnens who are just like toying with him. They are having the time of their lives doing this like human hunt, which again, Subtlety is the name of the game. Did you know the Harkonnens are bad people? They hunt right. humans for sport. <laughs> it's like,
0: right, right. I mean, an absolute vile thing to do with a prisoner and a child at that. Yeah, And, it, you know, again, if we haven't beaten the dead horse of Harkonnens are bad, <laughs> here we are, another scene continuing to beat it. Totally right. agree. And he actually
1: demonstrates a kind of a cool move. This is, I really liked this for how it tied into the physics of the Dune universe. He, to escape these guys who are firing actual laser guns at him. Uh, again, he mentions, like, oh, I thought they were going to use stunners. No, they're firing actual laser guns at him. So he jumps across a Lev train tunnel, which is cool because this uses a Holtzman suspensor field, which, yeah. as we all know, would cause an atomic explosion if the, the, uh, Lay's gun were to come in contact with it so really clever stuff right you're you're escaping behind a barrier that they cannot shoot at lest they you know destroy themselves as well
0: i will say his very daring escape attempt across this lev train tunnel is very quickly thwarted yeah because another (laughs) group of guards shows up and they capture him and uh and then of course they take him away side note i believe that i've seen similar escapes (laughs) Happen on the MTA in New York, in the city. Yeah. <laughs> People just jumping across train tracks. The cops are escaping like, from the hard Tony. Companies. You can't shoot at the subway. <laughs> Your bullet will set off an atomic explosion. <laughs> so and I then, will say uh, the, the these panels were well drawn and easy to imagine. But yeah. I've seen this happen in real life. <laughs> this is
1: nonfiction. Here, in, in, yeah, I live in New York. I see this almost daily. <laughs> Now, we learn in the following panels that the Idaho's, they were once officials. The, his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Idaho, were officials working in the uh, probably Giddy Prime, like, main city, which, is that called Harco?
0: Harco City, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Real clever. Harkonans. So, yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: So impressed.
0: <laughs> but
1: they were imprisoned because of... They explained it in the one panel. Do you remember what it
0: was? They didn't actually explain it. It just vaguely said they angered someone and I don't know why. And now me and my parents are here in the Hard Conan dungeons. Yeah. So I don't know if that will be explored, but the implication is some sort of like political rivalry but or like a small politics thing. of some sort.
1: Like, yeah, that was the impression I got was they did some small thing to really beat in like to really nail down the cruelty of them being unfairly imprisoned this was not something worth imprisonment and totally duncan is then you know he's kind of constantly mad about this guard shows up you know the next day or and he has this conversation with his parents where he's saying you know they're like you're alive and he's like yeah hate them (laughs) and they're like yeah but you're alive thank goodness for that
0: yeah they the, the point the point of that scene i believe is just to sort of show that they've succumbed or they've accepted like We're prisoners. It's okay if we stay quiet and follow the rules and don't make the Harkonnens matter than they already are. We'll be okay. We'll get out of this. And Duncan is the exact opposite. He's like, no, I got, we got to like fight our way out. We got to find a way out of here. They're not just going to let us go. And so I I think it's just to show that his parents have sort of resigned to their fate while Duncan has not.
1: Now he's got a point because like two panels later... (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah. this was abrupt (laughs) this was this was quick uh but you know again the clip of these and we'll we'll talk about this in a second but the clip of these issues has been pretty breakneck uh he sort of has this dialogue with the guard the guard says come on prisoner whatever nine four seven two and he's like my name's duncan idaho i'm not a number and then the guy's like hey that's a really good point and then kills both his parents (laughs) and says this line now you don't have a family. Now you don't have a name. Come on, like we want to hunt you. <laughs> let's let's go have a fun old hunt. So Duncan's mother and father are dead, and yeah, he's off to uh, to be hunted. And that was Beast Raban, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I I actually had to check because it didn't make it clear. But I went back to the early panels with the Beast Raban scene, and he's got the same redhead sort of comb over. That he does in that scene as well. So, yes, I believe that's Beast Robot. Pretty
1: sure. He's not named, but, like, pretty sure.
0: Yeah. I appreciated the scene quite a bit, for multiple reasons, actually. We saw Giddy Prime. Again, something we talked about in our Planets of Dune episode. And a planet we may or may not, there's a slightly higher chance of seeing it in the upcoming film. But it was kind of cool to see Giddy Prime here. And it looked kind of how I imagined. Yeah. Like this sort of cyberpunk... Blade Runner-esque, like, future capitalist dystopia, dark, yeah. A lot of, like, neon lights and...
1: Median photosynthetic viability.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. To to
1: quote the, like, salty planetologists
0: who are like, that place, Median, sucks. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I appreciated this scene for getting a glimpse of Giddy Prime. I appreciated this scene for... Meeting young Duncan Idaho and seeing the the spirit and the the fighting spirit that's in him even at such a young age, and while it they didn't dive too much into it, and perhaps the book does, and the comic book just glosses over it, but I did like at least establishing the basis for Duncan's hatred of the Harkonnens. Like watching your parents casually get shot, yeah, is enough to tip anyone over, you know. And it so I I, I quite liked this scene. This was maybe my favorite scene of this issue. Yeah, it was it was, it was fun. It's good. All right, so let's wrap up with the final scene of issue number two. This is a pretty short one. We find ourselves on a spacing guild highliner orbiting the planet X. And Leto Atreides is obviously on this highliner. In the previous issue, his father told him, hey, you're going to go do your internship on X. So that's what he's here to do. This... Men in black looking character <laughs> yeah. walks up to young Leto Atreides and he's like, hey, let me take you to the shuttle. You and a few other people are going down to IX. Not many people go to this planet anymore. Right. Because of like embargoes and safety procedures and things like that.
1: And that's that's by the way, that's the way it is. I mean, we, we get yes, a great. That's from Dominic. for sure. Yeah. And Dominic mentions it where he's like, no, you can't send people to the planet because that's the way we do it. Like, we don't explain how we do things. We we are secretive. That's the way that we're that it's done. Yeah,
0: right. That's part of the contract. We we make the shiny gadgets. You don't ask questions or sh- send people to our planet unannounced. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's what happens here. And then uh, leto goes gets into the shuttle and shoots down to the planet X. We see a glimpse of the iconic Atreides signet ring, which plays a significant role in the first two novels. So it's cool to get a get a shot of that here. And then Leto lands on the planet. And the entire time he's thinking, like, where are all the cities and the skyscrapers? Like, I don't see them yet. It's like a technologically advanced planet. That's kind of weird. He lands. It's a desolate, barren sort of wasteland area, and the shuttle just zooms off like right away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> leaves him there. Hate when that happens. And yeah, hate when that. Hate when the bus just zooms off after Your Uber Driver off. drops you off in the <laughs> shitty like warehouse district,
1: and then just takes <laughs> off.
0: Oh man. Exactly. We've all been there. Again. A lot of New York vibes coming from this issue of the comic. <laughs> and uh that that's where the issue ends. We get a close up shot of a very panicked young Leto Atreides on this desolate planet abandoned by the shuttle, and he doesn't know where he is. Bum bum bum. Yeah, it's first two issues.
1: Stay tuned.
0: Yeah, r- really really fun stuff. I I liked the visual style of it and Let's actually wrap up today's discussion because, uh, you know, what I'm about to say is actually our our, our final discussion points yeah, here. Yeah, totally. Leo, what what were your thoughts of these two initial issues? We know that this series is going to be 12 issues in total, right? right? So we're really only seeing the first two of 12. What were your thoughts so far?
1: I think that's, it's a really good point to start off on. This is a 12-issue series and I got to say, this moved along so quickly. My biggest kind of the question in my head the whole time was who is this for because as a prequel series you know we get these moments of characters super over explaining things and i have to ask myself like if this is for the average dune reader it almost feels like we're being talked down to at times by some of the script but at other times if i wasn't a dune you know nerd (laughs) I feel like I would be lost because it's jumping so quickly between these very different planets of yeah. currently absolutely unrelated panels and like characters and scenes and and plot points. That makes sense if you know what happens in Dune, but is hard to like tie together without any prior knowledge. Um, all of that criticism aside, I'll say that the art was beautiful. The uh, worlds were wonderful. I loved seeing... Uh, uh, Wallach, I loved seeing Chitin. Uh, I loved seeing Giddy Prime. Everything looks great, and a lot again loved the Fenring setting up the poisoning of of uh, Rudy. <laughs> Rudy, and Rudy, as his lover <laughs> secretly called him. Uh, it, you know, there were some really great moments, a lot of really fun moments, and again, I love Dune stuff. I'm not as much as I'm being kind of harsh right now. Maybe I love Dune stuff pretty unapologetically. So. I, I enjoyed it. What about you? What were your kind of overall
0: impressions? I mean, you basically said it. I'm right there with you. More Dune is best Dune, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> yeah. love Dune. I want more Dune to exist. But at the same time, as a huge Dune fan, it's hard not to nitpick and criticize whenever there's an expansion of the lore or an adaptation. Yeah. And so I, I'm with you on many of the many of the points where. I believe this these two first issues at least kind of fell short or felt weird. I totally get your point about who is the audience here because right. I don't imagine this comic series as the one that new dune fans who are maybe just now hearing about the Oscar Isaac Timothy Chalamet movie are going to jump into, right? Like this is a prequel series in the sense that the assumption is you've already read Dune and you're reading this because you want more lore or more characters or you want to hear the backstory. So I agree that maybe this these first two issues are very introductory and they're setting up the major plot lines and we'll kind of drop the explanations as we get into the series and future issues. But I agree that it does feel like it's talking down to someone who would have already read even just the first Dune novel, not even all six of the original books. <laughs> right, you know? right. But overall, I agree. I really enjoyed the art. I loved seeing the distinct planets. I think that's important for any sci-fi universe is yeah, yeah, the planets being characters in and of themselves. And I think in this case, they are. you You could show me in the next issue a shot of Kitan and you, without the text, and I would recognize it, right? right like they right, have right. they've distinguished that. And I really appreciated that in the artwork., uh, some of the panels, like you mentioned were beautiful. Leto's father fighting the bull, really, really tense scene, some great panels there. And I, I enjoyed these first two issues. They felt a bit slow. They felt a bit introductory, but I'm hoping the story ramps up and we get into the real meat of it as we get into more issues in the future.
1: That shot of the sandworm blowing up was just so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Really remarkable. Like that stuck in my head. I, I I finished the book and was I finished the, the issue and was still thinking about that. Really
0: beautiful art. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So speaking of future issues, I want to end the episode speaking directly to our listeners. Let us know what you think of episodes like this. This is sort of different and experimental for us, Leo, right? Like we usually cover deep lore. We did deep dive into Frank's novels and his world and the themes and philosophies of the encyclopedia and Dune itself. This is different for us covering sort of Dune content outside of that core of just the lore in the universe and breaking it apart and breaking it down. So let us know if you like when we do things like this and if you want us to do more of it. Uh, We intend to continue reading this comic book series and we intend to read all 12 issues of it, but if you would love for us to continue covering it in some capacity, please reach out to us Podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts of episodes like this.
1: I'll also say, you know, when the show eventually happens when it happens if it happens when the movie happens we're going to talk about it we're going to do episodes about it and this is kind of a pilot for us we're trying out this new format of talking about a thing uh and not just coming up with a topic out of the thin air so any feedback you have as well is immensely
0: appreciated well friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help us spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.